Well, good morning from me, KV family. How are we this morning? I know you can't talk back, but um, I want you to know that I am really interested in knowing how you're doing. Um, I'm delighted that you are joining us this morning and I hope that wherever you find yourselves that you are doing well. So uh, for any of you though who might not know me, my name is Rachel. Uh, my husband Jim and I are the pastors here at Kingdom Vineyard, this very lovely church. This morning, I've got the pleasure of finishing off our Advent sermon series. But before I get started on the task set for me, let's just take a couple of minutes to think about what we've looked at in the, um, the series that has come before me. This whole series has been about the world meeting Jesus. Jim kicked us off with a look at some of the Old Testament prophecies, the yearnings of God's people for his big rescue plan, and what it was like for the world to be waiting to meet Jesus. Then Morag took us through what it looked like when the world actually did meet Jesus for the first time, and how we see the next part of God's plan play out as it was revealed to Mary and Joseph, to Elizabeth, to the shepherds and the magi. And then last week, Phil talked about how the world is still meeting Jesus and what that looks like for our lives now. How there's a place for each and every one of us in God's mission and how he is still very much on the move here and now. And so to finish off our Advent series, it's my job to think about how the world is still fully to meet Jesus. What it means for us to look forward to when the not yet finally becomes the now. And what exactly it is we are waiting and hoping for today. You might just have noticed this year that we really cannot put our hope and trust in the things of this earth. It is just too fragile. And the things that keep us nice and comfortable can just be whipped away in an instant. I imagine like quite a few of us throughout COVID, I have been anxious about my health and that of those I love. I've been miserable and I've panicked when my freelance work inbox has been tumbleweed for weeks on end and I felt completely hopeless. So, as I was chatting to the Lord about this sermon, I asked, how on earth can I preach a sermon about having hope when I feel like that tank is pretty empty in me at the moment? He lovingly reminded me that my sights were set too low. That although we do get the most wonderful glimpses of God's kingdom breaking through on earth, it won't be until the new heavens and the new earth that we get to experience the fullness of our hope. And that's what it is that we're waiting for. I don't know about you, but I spend almost no time thinking about heaven, like actually thinking about it. I know it'll be good, and I know I'll be there thanks to Jesus making a way for my relationship with God. But what will it actually be like? I think if we're to have true hope here and now, we need to spend time thinking about the only thing that will bring about this hope in its fullness. And that is eternity with God 
in the new heavens and the new earth. We have something more beautiful, more glorious, and more amazing waiting for us when this life is over, with a place prepared especially for us, especially for you, where there is no more sin, no more suffering, and a place where the world can finally, fully meet Jesus. So this morning, and to bring our journey through Advent's waiting and hoping to a close, I want to firstly take a look at the new heavens and the new earth so that we can really think about what it is we're waiting for. Then secondly, I want to look at what that has to do with our experience of Advent now. And thirdly and finally, how we respond now to the promise of what's to come. So to begin, what can we know about this future reality, this new heavens and new earth? Well, as with most things, the Bible is a really good place to start. So let's hear what the Bible has to say about what we can look forward to. This will be Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 7, and then on to 22 to 27. And my friend Chris is going to come and read that for us now. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. On to verse 22 through 27. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thanks, Chris. When you ask someone to picture heaven, I imagine lots of us think of fluffy clouds, white robes, halos, harps, maybe some big golden pearly gates and vague ideas of fluffy niceness. Maybe, maybe your idea and your theology is better than mine was, but that is what I picture. But that's not quite the Bible's picture of the new heavens and new earth. So let's look at what these verses tell us about what we're actually waiting and hoping for 
in the new heavens and new earth. Firstly, and most importantly, the Bible's picture of what we are looking forward to is all about eternity in God's presence, God with us forever. It's all about our relationship with him. Throughout the Bible, God has been dwelling with his people in some form or another. From Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle and the temple, and then God himself becoming man, and living among us in the person of Jesus. And now God himself lives in everyone who invites him in by his Holy Spirit. However, we've been making a bit of a mess of this dwelling together since creation. We've been known to reject his presence and choose our own way and our own false imitation gods. But there won't be any more of that in the new heavens and the new earth. There won't even be any need for a temple to meet God in. God will quite literally live among us and his glory will be all the light we'll ever need. In this church, we absolutely love making space for people to meet God, to experience his presence through our worship and our prayer ministry especially. And he's so gracious in showing up powerfully and ministering to us even over Zoom or YouTube. But even this is just a tiny glimpse of what we'll experience in the new heavens and new earth. There will be no physical space and no corner of our lives that are not filled with and made whole by the glorious presence of God. What an amazing thought that is, friends. This revelation passage also promises that there will be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. And Isaiah 11 also tells us that there will be justice for the poor and fairness for the exploited. I think one of the hardest things to go through or see others go through in this life is facing what seems like unrelenting pain and suffering. When things seem to go from bad to worse, and it feels like there's very little relief. We can and we should continue to pray earnestly for healing and release for these people here and now. But even if that doesn't come, we can be completely certain that in the new heavens and new earth, we will all be completely and utterly free from everything that is painful in this life. Our bodies and minds will be transformed, and not just temporarily. This will be forever, for eternity. Philippians 3, 20 to 21 says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. That's what we're waiting for and hoping for. The fullness of relationship with God, with all of the joy, peace, truth and love that comes with that. A glorious and eternal new existence in the presence of our loving Father, where we are made new and free from all pain and injustice. 
man, I'm excited. <laughs> Moving on to my next point. What exactly has this got to do with Advent, the season of the year that we are in now? Well, Advent is about waiting, anticipation and yearning, about a world waiting for a saviour. And as we read the Christmas story and anticipate Jesus' birth, we're reminded that we too today are waiting for something. You do not need me to tell you that the world is full of pain and evil and suffering. And so although we have the promise of what God has planned for us, we live in the tension of the kingdom of God being now and not yet. As ever, the Bible says it better than I can by a long way. So here is Romans 8, 18 to 25, and Chris is going to read this one for me too. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we are saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it, but we look forward to something we don't yet have. We must wait patiently and confidently. Eager hope. Just like God's people before Jesus waited and prayed for him to send his saviour, we, God's people after Jesus, wait and pray for God to save us and the world from death and decay and sin and suffering. We have reason for this hope. We've met Jesus both in the gospel accounts of what he did before he ascended to the Father and in our own experience of what he's still doing amongst us today. And so our hope has justification, but we're not quite there yet. We're still in that advent, that waiting place of praying, come to us, Lord. And from the point of view of us waiting for this new heaven and new earth, Jesus' life on earth gave us a lovely preview of what we can expect. Jesus was, after all, Emmanuel, God with us. So looking at Jesus' life and his ministry on earth gives us another glimpse into what it will be like for God to be with us forever. As described in the relation, sorry, let's try that sentence again. So, Looking at Jesus' life and his ministry on earth gives us another glimpse into what it will be like for God to be with us forever, as described in the relation. I can't do it. Revelation. Revelation passage from earlier. We will make it through. Do not worry. Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth 
when he was born. And we read throughout the New Testament what it was like when people came into contact with him. The dead were raised, the sick were healed, people were fed, and he gave dignity to the marginalized. And he taught us how to follow God. Everywhere Jesus went, the presence of God went, and the effects were profound. I would recommend reading one of the four gospel accounts to enjoy reading what Jesus did and said. But for our focus this morning, Jesus' life among us gives us a preview of what we have to look forward to. God's presence in full, unchallenged and undiluted. When the time comes for this earth to come to an end and we find ourselves in the new heaven and new earth, it will be like when Jesus was on earth, but God's, with God's presence and its effects everywhere and always. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, he kept and he still keeps on bringing in his kingdom through people who make him Lord of their lives. Phil reminded us last week of some of the fantastic ways that God has met with so many people through his Holy Spirit, even bringing some miraculous healings. We know that he is with us even now. We sense his presence in worship and we are so grateful for this kingdom of God having begun to be brought in this world. However, Although we're so blessed by the glimpses of God's kingdom that we get now, our true and deepest longing is to be completely released from sin and suffering and in the presence of our loving Father forever. For now I see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. That was 1 Corinthians 13, 12. One last thought on this second section of what does Advent have to do with this hope. This message to us of Jesus' birth is that Jesus came to save and that he's coming back to save. God's mission through Jesus has always been to deliver us from our sin, to pave the way for a relationship with him and be united with us. And Jesus coming back again will bring this rescue mission to completion. In John 14, 3, Jesus promised, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. In case we weren't sure we were on the right tracks, here is Jesus himself promising to come back for his people and to bring us to him for always. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't left us. And I'm pretty sure that he too is longing for the day that we can all be together in the new heavens and the new earth. At this point, you might be wondering, so why hasn't he called time? Everything seems to be a bit of a mess down here. And frankly, the new heavens and new earth sound like a much better plan for all involved. So some might say, why so slow, Lord? How long? I believe it's because of his mercy and his love for each and every one of us. 
Humanity needs delivering from our tendencies to turn away from God. And we need to put down our desire to go our own way, making sure that we are on the side of truth and peace when he appears. Or we risk being found on the side that rejects him when he turns up fully and for good. And God wants as many people as possible with him in the new heavens and new earth. So I think that that must mean that there is still work to be done here in helping people to get to know him on earth. It says in 2 Peter 3.15 that our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. He's not slow. He's giving us all a chance to turn to him and be made right with him. And that brings me to my final point. What does all of this, all of this future stuff, this hope that is to come, mean for how we should live our lives now? I was chatting to Jesse about this sermon as our resident revelation enthusiast, <laughs> and he told me about a quote that he'd read in a Revelation commentary by Grant Osborne. I've never read it, but apparently it's good. The quote says, eschatology always leads to ethics, which is theology speak for saying that what we believe about the end of things as we know them will always have an impact on the way that we live our lives now. So let's dig into that a bit, shall we? If we believe that this earth that we live on now will be replaced by the new heavens and the new earth, and that we're preparing to spend eternity in the glorious presence of our loving Father, what does that mean for our lives now? Again, let's have a look at what the Bible has to say about this. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, and Chris is going to read this too. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a, place, a meal or place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So Jesse preached a great sermon on this very passage only a few weeks ago, and I would really recommend going back and listening to it. It was fantastic. But I think this stuff is important enough to talk about again, albeit briefly this morning. We're also told in Matthew 6 to store up our treasures in heaven and not here on earth. And I reckon that the way that we do that is by following these instructions in that one Peter passage. Peter says here that the most important thing that God's people can do to prepare for eternity with Jesus is to deeply love one another. This is easier said than done, of course, because people can be really irritating. 
mostly me. But God has poured out so much grace on us that we too must pour out grace on those who drive us mad. As some of you know, Jim really likes to cook. And I really like it when Jim cooks. It goes very well for me. But I also really like cleaning the kitchen. And when he's cooking, I go into some sort of autopilot where I clear away all the utensils that he's still using into the dishwasher. A little bit like one of those annoying robot vacuum cleaners that bashes you in the ankles every few minutes. Yep. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> Despite how very irritating this undeniably is, sorry, Jim, and how I really should know better by now, not once has Jim lost his temper with me, told me to try harder, or banished me from the kitchen. Now, this is a fairly trivial example, but I think it's also a good example of that everyday grace that we can find it so hard to show those around us. Friends, as we prepare for the not yet, I think it's vitally important that we try our very best to show these everyday graces to everyone we come into contact with and make allowances for each other's faults. Especially at the moment when so many of us, probably most of us, are operating at not our best. And we could all really use a bit of extra grace as we try to make it through this season in one piece. What a difference it would make to this world, right here and right now, if we chose to believe the best about each other, forgave each other, and chose to act in a way that shows deep love for one another. Now, because Peter was talking to a group of believers in this passage, he says that this loving one another is the most important thing we can do. I imagine if he were talking to a group of people who didn't have a relationship with Jesus, he might say that having this relationship was the most important way that we can prepare for the new heavens and the new earth. Just like Jesus' disciples were, hang on, I've lost my place, found it again. Just like Jesus' disciples were willing to lay down their old lives to follow Jesus and learn his ways, we should also be prepared to turn the focus of our whole lives to Jesus, leaving behind anything that would hold us back and picking up the new things that the Lord has for us. We prepare for the new heavens and the new earth by spending time getting to know the Jesus that we will be with for eternity. It makes sense that if the future reality we long for is all about being in his presence, that we should try and get to know him now. And whilst we're spending time with Jesus, I suggest that we also spend time aiming to be more like Jesus by inviting him to change us. And the way that we do that is by reading the Bible to find out what he was like and then trying to be like that. And also spending time in prayer, asking God to make us more and more like him.
The final thing I want to say about how we can prepare for the new heavens and the new earth is that I think that we are to play our part in making sure as many people as possible are there with us. Just before Jesus was taken up to heaven after his resurrection, he instructed the disciples to go and preach the good news to everyone. I've heard it said that old orders are good orders, and I definitely think that applies here. For as long as there are people who don't know how much God loves them, we still have work to do. Some other wise words from Peter include always being prepared to give a reason for the hope we have. If you've never had a conversation about your relationship with God, with someone who isn't a Christian, I would love to encourage you to listen to Shin's amazing preach and drawing from a couple of months ago, where he talks about his answer when someone asks him, what's the deal with Jesus? On a really practical note, I'm confident that if you ask Jesus to point you towards people who need to hear about his love for them, he really will. I'm pretty sure that's a prayer he is really keen to answer because he longs to see every single person brought into a close relationship with him. And if you're like me and completely hopeless at being articulate under pressure, I think that you can also ask Jesus to give you the words to say. And remember, our mission is not to argue people into the kingdom and have all the right answers. I certainly don't. Our mission is to be grace-filled, justice-loving, miracle-working signposts to Jesus in all that we say and do. That's how we will make sure that as many people as possible are with us in the new heaven and new earth. So, to bring this sermon and our Advent series into land, what is our experience of Advent 2,000 years after that Bethlehem baby was born? Whilst we remember that that miraculous moment of God coming to earth to save us, we also look forward to the fulfillment of that salvation. For us in Advent, we remember that what we're waiting for and longing for now is the new heaven and new earth. We are looking forward to the day when every tear is wiped away, when justice is everywhere and for everyone, and when, po- when, and when poverty is nowhere. And when we get to enjoy the presence of the God who loves us so much, forever and ever. And we take the opportunity of Advent to remember that Jesus was born into a waiting world, just as we're waiting for everything to be made new. And as we feel the tension of seeing amazing glimpses of God's kingdom here on earth, but also feeling the pain of still living in a broken world. We can take comfort in Jesus being God with us now as a sign of his promise that helps us to remember that one day God will be with us fully and forever. And finally, we remember the call on our lives as we wait for the new heavens and new earth. And that call is, 
to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to love one another deeply and to share his love with everyone around us. Why don't we pray? Father God, I thank you so much that in this tension of waiting for what's to come, you are with us. I thank you that we have seen enough of your miraculous and loving work here and now to know that what's to come is going to be fantastic. Father God, would you help us this Christmas to hold on to that hope? Would you meet each of us when we feel sad and hopeless? We just long for more of you and more of your presence, God. Amen.